If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by visiting chriscarl.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to both Patreon and PayPal, where you can make donations. Any and all support is massively appreciated and a huge thank you to everyone that has supported thus far. So this is the first podcast that's been recorded post-vaccination. I had my second shot yesterday, which I'm not feeling any ill effects from, which I'm actually quite relieved about because I'm super excited about today's episode. Uh, we've been trying to line up schedules for a little while. We've finally done it. Pip, firstly, what a fantastic name. But let's talk about how you first got into photography. What made you pick up a camera for the first time? Well, first of all, congratulations on your vaccine. That's very good. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Second of all, apologies for how long this has taken. I know there's been a lot of rescheduling and um, building work at my house and um, that kind of thing that has delayed things. So uh, thrilled to be here. So thank you. Um, so in answer to your question, um, almost by a process of elimination. I think when I was young, I, you know, like a young teenager, I loved art. I loved painting, uh, drawing, things like that. And I was quite good at it, but I was incredibly slow and got quite frustrated with it right and i also loved films you know like i grew up in uh, the north of england and you know watched ken loach films and shane meadows films and just loved that kind of like social realism that drama and loved all that gritty imagery that went with it so and obviously making films very expensive you know back then it was pre-iphones and all that kind of stuff and pre you know sort of pre-digital revolution in video really um so that meant i couldn't really make films either and i was too slow at painting and drawing so i almost arrived at photography as that kind of like middle ground i was able to explore cinematic imagery and uh you know get that sort of side of uh my artistic expression out there but i also could get the results relatively quickly compared to painting or drawing right you know so it sort of, it was, a, it was, I, I sort of found it, you know, sort of sitting in the middle of two things that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a process of elimination really. But then there was also this very bizarre period after that, where I must've been about 17 or so, where I had decided that I uh, wanted to be a photographer, but I didn't actually have a camera. You know, I, I decided that this is a good thing to do. And I felt like I was a photographer, but I didn't, I had no money. You know, I, I didn't have a camera. I didn't have, there was no story of like a granddad that gave me an old 35 mil camera or anything like that. I, I, you know, so I got a job in a factory that was like next to my house and worked a horrible shift uh, on minimum wage until I could buy my first camera myself. But it was funny because that period, um, when I didn't have a camera, I felt like I was learning a lot when I was saving towards getting my first camera. I was actually learning a lot, like reading up on the kind of theory, the science of it, okay. um, thinking about, thinking about what I wanted to shoot and, and just looking at like magazines and other people's photographs and going like, I don't like that. Why don't I like that? You know, they've composed that picture weirdly, or they've lit that weirdly. Like, I think I could do better than that, or I would do it differently. So, um, in that period where I was actually saving for a camera, I felt like I was learning the theory. And then when I actually finally got my first camera, then I was pretty, pretty unstoppable at that point because I was just straight out of the gate shooting as much as possible. Well, because we're there, we'll jump in at the deep end on a deep question, but 
go on. So you, you obviously took that time that you weren't out shooting, you weren't obsessed with, you know, gear like a lot of people are when they start photography. And you had an opportunity yeah. to, like you said, look at the theory and develop, I think, probably the most understated skill possible, which is to develop taste. Do you, do you think yeah. that that's probably a major problem with how democratized photography is now, is that people just, because they can get the camera so easily, they can, they can go out and take pictures so easily, they don't take time to actually find out what they like and to learn the theory? Yeah, potentially. I think that's, that's a problem with the kind of this digital generation and the sort of social media generation and the sort of like culture of filters and things like that. The taste is almost like pre-packaged almost, like you're sort of sold it in a way. Right. Um, so yeah, I do agree with that. I think, you know, um, and the gear thing, I mean, I've never been interested in gear. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 12, 13 years into my career now and I'm still, I'm, I'm not interested in gear at all. You know, really, right. um, and I never was back then at all. It was all, I was always about the end result, and it didn't matter how I, what camera I was using or what process. I just liked having the, the final image and going, I like that. That represents me and my taste. So yeah, I think um, there is a bit of a problem with that. I think you know, the digital like phone pictures, that kind of thing. Anyone can be a photographer, but. I don't think that many people study, and I don't mean study in a sort of like academic sense, but just like look at images of like legends and great photographers and, you know, artists, uh, people producing like really special, unique work and like learning from that just literally by looking at it. I think people do a lot less of that. Um, so yeah, I think that can be a bit of a problem. Um, but also looking from, from where you ended up. So you kind of, like you said, you landed on photography as a medium between two other mm. art forms. Do you think that there's a lot of benefit to looking for inspiration outside of photography as well? Because if you go outside of your own medium, you're, you're less likely to um, fall into like tropes or I don't want to say copying because, you know, I think that's a bit, of a, yeah. a bit of a cheap thing to say, but you can find inspiration that actually adds something new to the medium within that you're working. Definitely. And I, I'm constantly, I, I love, you know, you know, I still love painting. I'm still incredibly slow. I've not sped up, you know, over time. Um, <laughs> but that teaches you loads about color and, you know, how I like retouch and stuff like that, color palette. Um, yeah, there's so much inspiration in everything. And, and, you know, films as well, you know, cinematographers, like I think you said earlier that you listened to um, Roger Deakins podcast. Yeah. Like you can learn so much about still photography from those guys and the way they light things and what they say about, you know, color and emotion and that, how that feeds into it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many, you know, it, it, there's so much inspiration in other art, uh, other art forms out there um, that can, that can totally play into your work. Yeah. I think, I think you are limiting yourself if you're only looking at photographers uh, and, and not only that photographers who shoot similar things to you and looking at other people's portraits. Um, I had quite, I mean, my journey, I, I never studied photography and I never even assisted another photographer. So I, I never learned directly off anyone. Everything I, you know, have learned has been through a quite grueling process of, of trial and error and making mistakes and, you know, experimenting, trying stuff out, lighting wise, you know, grading, all that kind of stuff. So I feel quite lucky in some ways that I, wasn't really influenced in that way. I wasn't never really trying to copy anyone or emulate or stealing from anyone that I, that I was sort of witnessing work. I just sort of found my 
you know, aesthetic or, or voice, as it were, um, through a long process of doing that. And I couldn't recommend that enough to people who are starting out just to shoot and just try things and make mistakes and, you know, uh, experiment, basically. I mean, one of the things that really stands out with, with your work is you, you photograph people of, of, of a huge caliber in a lot of cases, huge personalities, regardless of notoriety. Um, and we'll, we'll mm. move on to those particular individuals at some point. But at what point did you think that you wanted to photograph people? Cause that's a big step for a lot of people in photography because it's for, for, mm. for a lot of, I think for a lot of men, surprisingly, it's kind of intimidating to go and ask to take pictures of people or to show an interest in that. That's quite a big yeah. barrier to get over. So what made you want to jump that barrier? I, I had always been good with people, just in, in life. I, always felt, I wasn't an academic person at all, um, but I always um, was able to communicate quite well with people, got on with people. I came from a very humble background up north, which is quite sort of disarming in some ways. I felt like, you know, I could relate to a lot of people. So, and that really is like a lot of the, and it sounds like we'll get onto that as well, but I feel that is a lot of the battle with portraiture is actually like connecting with someone. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much sort of technical uh, stuff that goes into a portrait, how it's lit and all that kind of stuff. But so much of what you get out of someone is that connection you have with them. And I always was just quite good with people, always got on with people from every walk of life. So that was kind of like, I never really gave it that much thought. I always knew that I wanted to work with people. I mean, I still shoot, you know, I always have shot landscapes and projects and stuff like that, but that satisfies a slightly different side of me, I think, artistically. Whereas like a portrait is a collaboration and I love that collaboration between you know, two people or, you know, photographer and multiple people. Um, so yeah, it never really crossed my mind to do anything different. I ne never really considered it. I think I've just always, always loved people, always loved communicating with them, sharing stories, you know, learning from them as well, you know, he hearing, hearing what they have to say and what their worldview, like it's one of my favorite things about this job is meeting someone who's completely different from you or from the other side of the world and having them teach you something. You know, that's, it's really special. I'm going to go on a complete sort of right angle turn here. And it's something go I on. wanted to cover a little bit earlier, but I've been a little bit obsessed in, in the last sort of 20 episodes of this, regardless of if it's come up or not, it's come up in conversation either side of the recording line about cultural hubs and being English and you're English. And I was, mm. I was born just shy of, of South London. Right. England tends to be, if you go outside of England and you say you're from England, people ask if you're from London. That's the only place they're aware of in England. It's despite yeah. being a small place, we seem to only have one city that anyone outside of England is aware of. And a lot of people in England who work in any kind of artistic means tend to say that they're from London, even if they're from Bristol or you know Essex yeah. or Devon or Sheffield. They'll, they'll all put London in their bio for some reason or another, I guess. Yeah. As someone that's from the north of England, and I think you're now located in London, yeah. do, you, do you think that with like the internet being available, and obviously we're seeing like award shows now being done online and people can, can be where they are, they don't need to be in a cultural hub. Do you, do you really feel like there's any need anymore for your New York, your Los Angeles, your London uh, to be such a cultural hub? I would say it totally depends on what you're shooting. Like I work with a lot of like, 
celebrities and work with people who are involved in entertainment. And those, you know, those sort of like media hubs are in those big places. So therefore, the shoots are being organized in those places. Um, so I would say, yes, that is still, it's still relevant. I think the landscape has changed now because, you know, we're not doing face-to-face meetings. We're not showing portfolios. You know, we're doing, we're doing things over Zoom. Things are done re- even shot remotely sometimes, um, you know, and there is a shift for sure. But I still think that you're, you know, putting yourself in a much stronger position if you do, if you are in one of those hubs. And a lot of that, especially being a young photographer coming up, you know, through the ranks and, and, and finding a way, is being quite like reactive. You know, I felt like I, loads of jobs that I got were like last minute, like, can you come and fill in for this person? Or can you do this? This is happening this afternoon. Can you make it? It's, it's going to be in wherever, in London. If you are in that city, you can do that and you can react quite quickly. Um, so I think it does make a difference. It, ha- it has changed slightly, but you know, if someone shoots landscapes or, or still life, you know, I feel like if you're a still life photographer and you can have the products like shipped to you, wherever you are, like you could be anywhere in the world, yeah. you know, if you've got your own kit, I, so it, re- it really depends on, on what you do. I, it wouldn't really work for me. I think I would always have to be in one of those, uh, big cities that you mentioned. Um, and again, if you're showing fashion, you know, there are certain fashion capitals around the world where stuff happens. So you're, you're always going to be sort of relatively limited if you're outside of that, that scene, as it were. Um, but yeah, it really depends. But I think if you're a landscape photographer or a still life or a car photographer, then you, yeah, you can be anywhere. I mean, you mentioned celebrities. I've mentioned big personalities. I didn't want to say celebrities to seem like I was plugging it. Um, but now you've used the word <laughs> I can say. It. So just to go through a little list here, because I just, I find it fascinating as Charlie Hunman, Natalie Dormer, Rosamund Pike, Damian Lewis, John Cooper Clark, uh, the, the unbelievably popular at the moment, Anya, jo- uh, Anya Taylor Joy. I always say Anya Joy Taylor, and I don't know why I do it, but Anya Taylor Joy. Sir Ian McKellen, obviously enormous. Um, the director, Steve McQueen. And as uh, me and my wife actually sort of met and bonded over our love of horror films, and you photographed Rose McGowan of scream fame so that's a big yeah. step for for me personally um i feel like i'm one degree away now yeah the first time you photographed a celebrity w- were there nerves what was the experience like it was sir ian mckellen he was the, oh wow in fact, in fact he was the first actor full stop i'd ever photographed because i started when i when i first moved to london i almost i shot almost exclusively uh in the music industry so all my friends were in bands or managers or, you know, uh, session musicians or work in radio. That was just my whole scene, my whole friendship group. So I just shot, you know, music artists basically. And I shot from a couple of small magazines. There's a small magazine called uh, Fiasco magazine. Um, and I shot a load of music stuff for them. Um, and then one day uh, the photo editor there said, how do you feel about shooting an actor? And I'd never really shot you know, people who weren't musicians before, but I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds, that sounds cool. Um, and they were like, it's Sir Ian McKellen. And I, I was a huge Lord of the Rings fan. You know, I think the first Lord of the Rings film was maybe like one of the first films I ever saw in a cinema. So like, it really like made a, a you know, a big impact on me as a, as a, as a kid. 
But anyway, so yeah, I was like, of course, I'd love to, I'd love to shoot Ian McKellen. Big fan of him. Amazing face, you know, like a real, you know, dream uh, uh, sitter. Um, and uh, I, it was when he was promoting the first Hobbit film, mm-hmm. and which was probably about ten years ago now, I think. But he um, was because he's sort of so, uh, you know, famous. And uh, and he doesn't like doing press. He he's able to sort of consolidate all of his press for a huge movie like that into one or two days, which basically means that he does a day or two where he gathers everyone together and journalists and photographers just basically queue up and have to, um, you know, have their five minutes or whatever ten minutes to do a quick interview, take a few pictures, and it's like a conveyor belt, very intimidating uh, process. But I went down to, um, uh, it was Limehouse in East London. He owns a pub down there. And he was basically doing everything out of this pub. So everyone was interviewing him, taking a picture in his pub. Very soulless process because everyone came out with the same picture. Yes. And I met, his pub, I met his publicist, who was my contact. So I was just down there by myself. You know. I mean, by the way, the other publications were, you know, The Observer, The Guardian, The Times. They're big, heavyweight publications. And I was with this tiny sort of like art house indie magazine that had no money you know i wasn't being paid for it it was just for a credit only and you know i was really young and i was certainly the least important person and the least important publication there you know that day for sure and i was also the last person so i i uh, arrived there and met uh, his publicist who is a well-known big hollywood publicist as well um, and she said look he's sick of this today he's you know he has done you know, 10 shoots and interviews, everyone's asking the same question. He's really bored of it. So she was like, you need to be so quick, you know, just a few minutes, get the shot and get out of there. Cause he's not going to last. So I sat down with him, uh, had it wasted all of those few minutes talking about like New Zealand and, uh, <laughs> Middle Earth and, and, and just how it's pub and he says, he had his gut like Gandalf. Gandalf staff in the pub, which is pretty amazing. So I was just like fanboying and wasted all that time. And he said, right, okay, my home is not far from here. So he's like, why don't we, like, I'm sick of being in this day. why don't we come down there? He lives by the, the, the Thames. And so uh, we climbed down onto the beach, you know, not far from his house. And we did the shoot on the beach uh, by the Thames. And those like five minutes that I was allowed turned into like two hours. And wow. He's just so, wow. 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 So kind. And the thing was, he, he was sick of it. He was sick of doing shoots and interviews and stuff, but he also realized like how much of a big deal it was for me. Yeah. And what I think he just knew what is only last two hours of the day, a little bit of extra effort really was like a huge deal for me as a young, you know, uh, inexperienced photographer. So um, he ended up giving me this time, did absolutely everything. We took these amazing pictures um, on the beach. And uh, yeah, they're some of my favorite portraits ever. I have actually framed print of one up in my house now. Um, and that was a really like seminal moment for me because it was the, he was the first actor I'd ever shot and the first kind of big, you know, global sort of celebrity. Um, but it was such a springboard because after that, every actor wanted me to shoot them because they saw those pictures of Ian McKellen and they were like, wow, you know, he looks amazing. What a great job he did. And it kind of, it kind of, 
it was a catalyst for for a lot of people having you know uh, being interested in hiring me. Other publications, that kind of thing. Other actors, this publicist who I, who now I've known for a decade and is a really good friend of mine. Um, we've worked together, you know, dozens and dozens of times over the years because uh, she was so impressed with how I managed to charm in and, and work with him. So yeah, that was a really special story actually. So he he was actually the first, and it was such a positive, uh, fun experience that I that I'm so grateful for. Well, something that's quite interesting about the list of people uh, that you've got, and, and it's something that I just obviously not being in, in the position that you're in to understand how it works out. But if you work with someone like Anya Taylor-Joy, who obviously at the moment we've had the Queen's Gambit era of, of lockdown where Ron watched it. I know her previously from The Witch, obviously, like I said, big horror fan. And she's, she's someone who's just grown and grown in stature over the course of the last 12 months for sure. Um, and mm. obviously Emma as well. Does the success of of what they're in sort of bounce back onto you because you photographed them previous to some things coming out? So you could photograph her. She's then in the next big movie or big TV series or big Netflix series or whatever. And do you then see like publicists paying more attention to you or magazines paying more attention to you purely from the knock on effect of of her success? I think so to some extent. There are yeah. There are certain sort of fuzzy, uh, you know, people and, you know, like you referenced the Queen's Gambit, which smacked, which smashed loads of, uh, you know, records around the world and that kind of stuff. So there's an obvious sort of zeitgeist interest in those kind of things. And that definitely puts your work on a bigger platform at that time. Um, so I think that plays that certain, certainly the sort of like editorial world, because that is, it, that is built on, they're always trying to find, you know, the sort of the new thing or, you know, if it's a, if it's an established person, what the new fresh project is. So I think there's that kind of um, drive for what the latest thing is. I think it plays. Yeah. I think, I think it does play into that. Um, But there's also, if you, if you have a broad enough uh, portfolio and clients that you've worked with, you know, for a long time, I think that is less relevant. You know, I think there's some people that I've seen, you know, that know your work and know that you photographed someone or a particular, you did a particular style shoot a few years ago. They might remember that and that might be the motivating factor of why you get hired. So I don't think it's always you're the sort of the latest thing, but it's certainly, you know, uh, current personalities definitely play into it. And then, you know, people reference the Ian, those Ian shots that I took, you know, a decade ago and go, we want to do this. We want to just do a shoot like this. So you know, there are sort of like timeless personalities like him um, that, you know, uh, always take sort of pride of place in your portfolio and always reference, you know, going forward. So I think it's a combination, you know, I think it's a combination of, of those things. Well, you mentioned at the beginning about an interest in, in cinema and obviously mm. then you go on to photograph your first actor and it's probably as good a first actor to photograph as, as possible. <laughs> Is there yeah. like is there like a, a thing in the back of your mind where you feel like you have to take images that look like their cinematic stills to match the environment that people know them from, or do you just try and push your own style into it? No, I would say I would say definitely not that, um, but uh, not not trying to recreate the look of their you know um, film or anything like that. What you are doing is you are paying 
homage to like the photographic style of the publication or the client that you're shooting for. Mm-hmm. So you do alter your style slightly if you're shooting for one magazine versus another. They, they'll have a certain style um, or they'll prefer studio shoots or they'll prefer natural light shoots. And you kind of adapt to fit in with the world and the brand that that magazine has created. And then simultaneously, you're also trying to uh, shoot something that fits in with your own sort of aesthetic sensibilities and artistic vision. So I think those are the two dominating uh, things. You're trying to shoot something that works for you and works for your portfolio and is also going to fit in with what the client wants and is going to meet their brief, you know, in the magazine or, you know, whoever they are, um, the movie studio or, you know, whatever. Um, but you're, I don't think you're, unless it specifically come as a sort of like brief from the the client that they wanted to look like the film that that person's in, you would never naturally do that, you know, because that's not the objective. They're, 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 the objective is for those magazines is to appeal to their readership. Mm-hmm. It's not to um, show you what the film is going to look like, you know? So, you know, and that's why you have, you know, um, actresses who might be appearing in, you know, a tiny indie movie, which is about, you know, social realism set in somewhere, but in the magazine, they're wearing a huge frock, you know, and it's all very glamorous and that kind of thing. They're there to uh, appeal to the, to the readership, if that makes sense. Oh, hundred percent. And uh, obviously shooting for big brands like Netflix, GQ, Vanity Fair, Dior, Obviously, like you just said, part of the skill set is understanding the aesthetic of those particular, yeah, those particular yeah. publications or companies because you you need to you need to have the knowledge of of what they're looking for and be able to apply it. In that sense, yeah. what's the what's the skill set you have to carry to work with so many different styled brands and different celebrities and so on? Well, there's the sort of technical side of it, which is just knowing your stuff about, you know, camera formats, um, you know, lenses, lighting, you know, uh, all that kind of thing. That So there's all that side of it where you just have to, to work with those brands uh, uh, at that level. You do have to have a sort of um, a technical knowledge, which means that if they go, right, and we're going to do this shot and we're going to have someone hanging out of the window and we want it to look like this you can go, I know how to achieve that look, you know, technically. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that side of things. And the second thing, it, it always goes back to that communication working with people. It's like people who don't necessarily know much about photography, but they know about their product. They know about their audience. Like Netflix know who is watching their show. Like Dior know like who is buying their, their products and like what they're looking for is, in, is like being able to communicate with those people and their mood boards and that kind of thing and, and interpret that in a way that you can actually shoot what they have in their mind. So I, a lot of it is just being good again with people and communication, you know, not getting frustrated with people um, who, who aren't speaking the same sort of technical language, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a combination of those two things. You do need to know your stuff when it comes to, you know, uh, about lighting and, and stuff like that, because it's not only, it's also to do with your environment because they go, right, we love your work and we love the way that this is lit, but we want to do this on top of a mountain or we want to do it underwater or we want to do it in a desert. It's like how you actually then, uh, like what tools and technical knowledge you bring to that environment, which is going to be able to recreate that look 
of your work that they liked that was maybe a studio picture or or something completely different. So yeah, you do need to have that sort of broad level of experience, which you which you get by just shooting over years and trying things and making mistakes and you know learning from assistants even you know just along the way you know get picking up little tips and that kind of thing so yeah it's a combination of those things a combination of 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 being technically experienced and then just like good with people you know because that's a huge part of it and i think it's i really do think it's overlooked and uh, being someone that people want to work with is such a weapon in your like um business arsenal you know and I think that that really makes a big difference. If you're someone that's accommodating, you're hardworking, you deliver things on time, you go above and beyond. And sometimes that means as much as the, you know, the final product that you're delivering. Well, in that sense, what do they have to give you? And, and I know that for you, and I'm, I'm absolutely out of my depth talking about what it is that you do, but when I'm photographing someone, if there's other creatives involved, if there's stylists or makeup artists or whatever, when it actually comes down to it, when, you know, rubber hits the road, it's you and the person you're photographing. And like you yeah. just said, that rapport is the most important part because everything else can be perfect. That falls flat, yeah. then you've got nothing. But what yeah. do, what does someone sitting for you, what, what's the ideal situation? What's the ideal person sitting for you? Not in terms of who are they, but what do they have to do for you or what, what can they do for the shoot that, that helps you get the most out of what you do? I think that, that what makes the best subject is someone who's like willing to actively collaborate with you. I think there are a lot of people who are, they submit to, to the process of, you know, following direction. They're happy to be told what to do. And that's really good. You know, if you've ever worked with someone who isn't happy being told what to do, it's a nightmare because they can't see what you're saying. You're fighting against each other. It just doesn't work, you know, and that is very, very rare. It's certainly in the type the world that I work in because a lot of the time the people who I'm photographing are just as experienced as me when it comes to being part of a photo shoot. You know, they've worked with hundreds of photographers before. I've done hundreds of shoots before. There's a kind of common understanding of the way this works and the way we need to sort of conduct ourselves. But um, and that's great when people are happy to follow direction. But when people are willing to collaborate with you and go, how can we best, how can we make this portrait the best or unique or different? People who should have ideas and suggest things or, you know, um, want to help you develop it, you know, uh, I think those are the best ones that are open to actually being part of the process rather than just someone that sat there and you're kind of just, uh, you know, taking something from them, like you're, you're building something together. Um, that, yeah. And I think it's that sort of common goal of like, we both want you and this image to look as good as possible. So like, let's work together. And those, and it doesn't matter if they are a celebrity or a model or, or someone that you're, you know, shooting for fun personally, like down the street, whatever, you know, it's someone who's like, who, who is willing to, to collaborate with you, which is, which makes the best sort of subject. Well, I remember talking to pretty much my all-time favorite photographer a while back, and he spoke about matching energy that, you know, it's, it's, if you've got someone that's, that's more sarcastic or dour or nihilistic or whatever, and you come in and you're really bubbly and over the top, you're probably going to have issues aligning and, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
how much of that is down to, obviously, like you just said, because the experience goes both ways. And I think people forget that. If someone's been photographed hundreds and hundreds of times, they're incredibly experienced in being, of being in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. And especially if there's someone that's in front of, you know, a, a video camera and in front of a stills camera, often they really know what they're doing and they really know, you know, how to, how to get into that mindset. Yeah. Who is it that's supposed to match the energy to who? Because obviously there's two sets of experienced people there. Do you feel like it's always you that has to maneuver to the energy of the other person? I think so. I think it sounds like a very, like, a wonderful scenario that, you know, and there are, of course, everyone is so different, aren't they? And there are some subjects which will be, di- which will do that. Um, I would say, you know, people who work in, entertainment so your actors musicians performers you know that that kind of thing um there's a certain there's there's naturally a sort of a certain ego that i think that comes along with that that territory of just being a sort of adored or celebrated person um and i think they're probably less likely to want to sort of like meet you in the middle and it's down to you to sort of bridge that gap because they're also just meeting like so many people when they're, when they're on these uh, promotional runs for their movie or book or, you know, whatever, or album, that um, it's kind of exhausting for them to, to, you know, be trying to connect with everyone because they might be doing two shoots in a day or, you know, five shoots in a week or whatever. So I think it's more often like down to, down to you to sort of like, uh, but you, that, 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 that guy's exactly right. It's about matching. It's not about, you know, this is my, thing and I'm the bubbly guy or I'm the whatever guy, you know, it's all about reading your subject and finding like that, that particular way that makes them tick. And that might be being quite quiet and like kind of leaving them alone and just being very quick and that kind of thing. Or it might be just, you know, really having a long conversation before and getting to know them. It's always different. Some people, you know, sometimes it's humor, sometimes it's, you know, talking about shared interests. It's really about sort of finding that sort of middle ground where you connect. And then there's a bit of trust, I think. Then they'll go with you when you go, right, can we try this or can we do this shot? And if you haven't sort of set that up, that rapport, then you might not be able to go there. Right. Um, but I think there's like this scale where you have that ego. And I think this is not this is not just true of like, you know, famous people or performers or people who work in entertainment where at one end you have this kind of like ego, you know, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It's just that kind of almost like self-confidence, being comfortable in your own skin, in your achievements and your ability, that kind of thing. And then the other end, there's this also like quite universal insecurity that comes along with having your picture taken where like not many people like enjoy having their picture taken or like really like looking at a picture of themselves. And there's a kind of like natural sort of insecurity and anxiety that is bundled along. And that's on the other end of the scale. And it's just, and I'm much more interested in catering for that is like finding out like what makes them uncomfortable or what they don't like. And then just, you know, meeting them there and going, it's all right. I'm on your side. I'm here to make you feel and look as good as possible. So if you trust me, and do as I say, then we'll achieve that. And I think that's what, rather than catering to the other side, which is a lot of like ass kissing and like, I love your film and all that kind of stuff, which they hear like all the time. 
you yeah. know, from everyone, every journalist. And, it's, and it's, it can be quite a sort of fake process, I think, that, you know, everyone pretending to be your friend, whereas I'm not really there to be anyone's friend. Like, I'm there to try and ca- make them look as good as possible. And I think when they're on board with that, that's when, you know, it goes back to that collaboration uh, where they'll go, okay, you know, this guy's like looking out for me here, you know? Um, well, it puts me in mind of um, when they do those interviews where there's a movie coming out and they put a couple of stars on director's chairs and then they just mm. have like a conveyor belt of people come in yeah. and they ask their three or four questions and then they piss off and the next person comes in. And there's yeah. one when there was the promo for the movie Life, which right. had Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. And they'd obviously been sat there all day. And you can tell that it's, especially for two guys like that, they're quite charismatic and they're sat together. So I imagine they even start to just have a little bit of fun with it. Mm. And the next person comes in and it's just, it's so, such an interesting moment because you get to see a genuine reaction from people that are very good mm. at rehearsed reactions. And yeah. This, this lady comes in and her first question is, was this the best movie you've ever worked on? Because you got to wear socks the whole way through. Like yeah. you just, you didn't have to wear shoes. You could just wear socks. And they both just explode with enthusiasm because they're like, yeah, that's the yeah, best yeah. part about it. It was so comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to see people that are so well trained at reacting yeah. almost get caught out by a real reaction. To stick yeah, with kind yeah, of what yeah. you're saying there, to stick kind of down the same line of, of setting that mood. How do you gauge it? Because obviously if you're working in shorter sort of periods of time, where you, like you said with Ian McKellen, obviously it worked out a lot better, but you were given a very small window. How do you mm. figure out what the mood is there to even match it? And, and I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, that is, it's such a difficult question because there is, there is, there is that no answer to that. There is no, there, you can only, it's just that unknown quality where, someone walks in a room and you can feel they're having a bad day or you can feel that they're, you know, in sort of game mode and, or, or, or they're ha- happy and they're up for it and they're up for collaborating, you know, um, you, you just get a feel for that very quickly asking how someone is. I mean, like I said before, and a bit like you're referencing that interview, like I don't, I'm not really that interested in asking them too much about the show because you're always going to get that sort of stock answer. Yeah. Whereas like, injecting a bit of like humor into things like certainly like uh like self-deprecation you know if you start on yourself like there's nothing more sort of disarming than you know when you're like oh me like just a just a a loser sort of thing like you know i'm 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 no threat to you here sort of thing like you're you're the you're the big dog like people those scenarios are quite sort of like humanizing i think when you're when you're able just to sort of like have some fun or poke fun at them. You know, this is, and, and this is where you, you have to just read everything, you know, and it's matching the energy really. Cause you might find you get a feel for someone and they go like, I can be cheeky and like take the piss out of you. Yeah. And they really like that because they're so used to having their ass kicked that, you know, it's a different dynamic. And, um, that common ground can be anything. It might be, and ideally it's not anything to do with what they're doing because they're not, it's like, they're not interested in, in my previous work either you know they've not like sat down you know occasionally people will you know look at your website or whatever and go oh you know i really like your work but certainly with the bigger the name you know like i say they might have done two three shoots that day you know they don't know you so if you can just connect with them and talk about like what you had for lunch or you know something like that um 
they'll often find that so much more interesting than talking about like, oh, I've done this before. Like they don't care. And like often, you know, I might not care about what their latest film, you know, the common ground is that we're trying to, you know, make something that like, again, makes them look good, makes me look good as a photographer. And it's all about that, like personal connection. You can find that anywhere, you know, it can be, it can be quite a serious conversation. It can be, you know, joking around, having fun, but there's no, there's, unfortunately, there's no sort of like stock advice that you can give. Uh, you just have to, you know, try and read the mood and be polite and respectful. And, and I, I often just put myself in there. Shoot. I hate having my pitch taken. Like I can't stand it. And I, I never get frustrated with people that feel self-conscious or nervous. You know, I'll just talk to them for longer. I'll talk about how much I hate, hate having my pitch taken. And again, it's that kind of disarming thing where like, I'm not here to take from you. I'm here to create something with you. You know, and I think if you can establish that, that atmosphere, then you always get the best results out of people. And like, it's very rare that, that someone who comes at the start is nervous and, you know, doesn't want to give too much, that they're still like that at the end, nearly always. I can confirm for sure on your part that you're not keen on being on camera because it's like, I think we double checked that about three times before we went ahead with this. And I think me and you both agree that podcasts that are on video are pretty terrible, but hate that. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. I, I, one, one question I do have about this, because I, you obviously you've mentioned pub- publicists being involved, magazines being involved, brands being involved. It feels like, yeah, obviously this is the nature of the job. You have to be very adaptable. Um, at what yeah. point are you able or are you asked to, or how does it work where the, the decision comes up between shooting digital and film? Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Um, always depends on job by job and it also depends on again going back to that that the aesthetic of the the magazine the style of the magazine that kind of thing because some people actively request you know can we shoot on film or can we at least shoot some of it on film which is great i love shooting on film um uh some people just don't genuinely understand like what it is really you know i think people just like look at your work and go we just want that and we don't care how you get to that we want it to look like this so we want you to shoot like a contact sheet or you know blah blah blah. um so it's always different some people request it sometimes i have to really push for it um you know it also depends on like budgets and things like that you know is it is it something that um they want to pay extra for you know because they've got film and processing costs and it's slower as well you know it's got a you know with digital stuff they're like oh the turnaround the magazine has to come out like you know, in three days and you're like, okay, cool. I can process that. I can send you shots and I can retouch and get them sent back to you in that time, but not with film. So it really depends on lots of, uh, circumstances. Um, I tend to try, if it's certainly an shoot, I tend to try and shoot some film personally, even if they don't want that, the magazine don't want that. Um, I'll try and shoot some stuff for me, like towards the end, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I would say it's very, there's only been a few shoots uh, where I've really sort of like insisted and had to like fight for like, this has to be shown on film. Um, you referenced John Cooper Clark on the list of uh, people before. That was a shoot that um, I, I just knew had to be shot on black and white film. Yeah. And I had to, you know, kind of fight for that. And, you know, eventually they came around to it and it was, you know, I think we achieved the best results. But it's a, it's a real mixed bag. Some people, again, just don't care, you know. 
is it the case that some of these publications and and publicists and so on, is it the case that they are perhaps worried about not just the turnaround time, but the reliability? Because digital, you see it on the back of the camera, everyone knows what you're getting, everyone's yeah. on board and film, especially like every day we move forwards, we move further and further away from when film was universally understood. Yeah. And I think that the average, you know, I don't like the word layman, but legally, I guess a layman, someone that just doesn't really work within that field would just be kind yeah. of trepidatious about the idea that you could shoot off roll yeah. upon roll upon roll. They don't get to see it. And then they either don't like it or you get nothing from it. Yeah. But I do think also people are just, they just innately trust you. If they see like loads of film up on your website and you've talked passionately about it and you sound like you're confident, I think people are just like, oh, he knows what he's doing. Like he's not going to make a mistake. Which puts like, or, you know, it's not necessarily a mistake. It can be, you know, anything. You can have a, you know, you know, leaky chamber on your camera and, you know, light leaks everywhere that have ruined an entire role, those kind of things that you don't know until, you know, you get, you, you develop the film. So I think that is a factor, but I also think if you're saying, you know, yeah, we can shoot film, then they just assume that you're going to produce the goods. So it's just more, kind of more pressure on you. That might be a part of it. And um, I think people invariably want the film aesthetic um but they don't actually care about if you do it on film or not you right. know i think as, as as a photographer who shoots film and loves film um i often do shoots and i'll go you know we've shot some digital stuff and i'll go right we're now going to shoot this on film hoping for some sort of like reverent you know <laughs> response like wow like that's amazing and most people are just like cool okay like what are you waiting for? Like take the picture. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh shit, you know, is, oh, not, is the exposure right? You know, are we, oh, oh, you know, uh, have I thought about this properly? So I think most people don't care that much. There are certain like film geeky people and you sometimes really nice when you meet uh, a subject you're shooting goes that, uh, that knows a bit about it or goes, oh, I've got an old media film, I can write shoot this. And you can have a bit of a geeky conversation about it. Um, as a, you know, like a pastime of theirs. Uh, but most people, I'd say, don't care. They just go, what does it look like? Oh, and it, it, even if it's digital, like we want it to look like film and that's fine. You can achieve that with how you shoot and how you post, you know, edit it, all that kind of stuff. So it's a mixed bag, you know, with film. Um, I'm not like a real, you know, I'm not really precious about it. People are like, no, it has to be digital or it has to be film. That's fine. You know, I'll, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gun for hire. Well, I mean, one thing that I think everyone would take away from listening to you on this is you're a very positive person. And I think it stands out even more when it's contrasted against someone like me. Yeah. I have a very dour tone. You're a very optimistic person. It's something I'm supremely jealous of. It's it's in my genes to be miserable. Yeah. But but with yourself, you're you're supremely optimistic. And and I hate the word success because I think people view other people's quote unquote success completely wrong. You could have a goal in mind that people aren't even aware of. And if you haven't completed that exactly. goal, no matter what you've done that they want to do, you haven't found your own success. So I don't yeah. want to put success in, in, you know, in your terms, but from, from an outside perspective, you've had tremendous success in terms of the quality of your images and the, the stature of the people that you're photographing, the brands that you photographed for. And I, 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 th I throw your website at a lot of people in, in the last few weeks to get feedback on, um, you know, the fact that we're doing a podcast, what they think. And, and sometimes when I do that with other guests, there can be 
a bit of a mixed bag response with yourself. It seems to be pretty universal that everyone's pressuring me into getting this podcast done as quickly as possible. Right. Okay. When it comes to the perceived success on yourself from the outside, do you still live with sort of self-doubt walking into shoots? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. You know, with all, with all those things, because you never know, you always think that, um, you know, you can be as well prepared as possible, but you are only like that one shoot away from having that disaster where your film all gets destroyed or you meet someone that you just, you know, cannot, as much as you try, you cannot get along with and it's a disaster or you piss someone off or you don't deliver that kind of thing. You know, touch wood, I've not really had any of those. Um, but you're always thinking that could happen. You know, I tend to think quite positively, but in the back of my head, it's like, you know, hope for the best, but you're sort of like also preparing for the worst. You know, you can't, you can never be, and I think complacency is like death of, of you know, not only just sort of creativity, but also just, you know, business-wise as well. You've got to stay on your feet. Um, so, yeah, absolutely still have a load. Yeah, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong. Like when you've done, you know, coming up to like a thousand shoots or whatever, then you're there's a level of you which is like I a part of you which is like you know what you're doing technically and you you know things surprise you a lot less. But then it only takes you know like you know your hard drive to fail and this something to happen or to be unexpected weather storm where you're like shit I might actually not get what I promised to deliver here. You know, yeah. so you're always, you're always, there's always that little kick of reality, like now and again, that keeps you on your toes and keeps you making sure that you're as, as prepared as possible, you know, and like you said, success is all relative. You know, there are people, uh, it's all about what your specific goals are. And like, I don't really deem myself to be hugely, you know, successful. Like I, I but I'm also someone who, who never really tends to look back. I never really like look at my w- old work, you know, apart from me and McKellen, who's up on the wall. Um, but, you know, I'm always looking forward. I'm looking to the next thing. How can I improve? What can I do? What that's going to push me? And so, um, yeah, that's the question. Absolutely. But yeah, I, th- I think it's just being like just being a human being. I think if you if if you, if you go into it thinking like I know what I'm doing now and I can't get any better or like nothing scares me, I think you're you need to do something else. Yeah, that, that's that's like a sign of fatigue, right? That you're yeah. like mentally fatigued yeah. with doing it at all. Yeah, no, exactly. You've got to you've got to be like pushing yourself and finding new things or just trying things to switch it up. If you've you know, I see a lot of photographers and I've never fully understood that, but there's a lot of photographers I know who take, albeit very beautiful imagery, but like the same images over and over again. Whether yeah. it is the same subject matter or the same person, but in the same background, the same lighting, that kind of thing. And people clearly want that because they're buying into that. But I just think for you as a photographer, that must be so boring. You know, I, I, I'm always trying to sort of switch up the way I do things. I always sort of maintain my own style, for want of a better word. Yeah. But um, just find interesting and different ways. And that might be like trying out a different film camera I've never used before. Or like, you know, trying out different color palettes or working with different light and that kind of thing while staying true to my my own style. But you, yeah, you, yeah it's, it's, you're, you're, always, you're always on your feet. Uh, you know, on, uh, you've always got to stay on your uh, toes and just be, you know, uh, you know, be careful that you're not being complacent, basically. Well, speaking of kind of maintaining a style, mm. something we haven't even touched upon yet is the fact that you don't just photograph people, you do photograph 
across different genres. And mm. I think that I've finally figured out my problem with, with doing this. I'm, I'm appalling at photographing outside of what I'm used to. And I think what it comes down to is I always think that I have to put on almost like a different figurative hat. And like today I'm a landscape photographer or today I'm a street photographer, as opposed to just, you know, I'm going to go and photograph this thing and I'm going to impart my personality on it, regardless of whether it's defined as this genre or that genre by a camera club or a magazine. Yeah. When it comes to yours, I, I, I very rarely do you see uh, people that are able to maintain an identity across multiple genres. And there'll be people right now that tend to send me messages after a podcast complaining that will be saying that I have said this previously. Well, it's because I tend to find and seek out people that are able to do that. And if yeah. they're not able to do that, I probably won't bring it up as a subject in a podcast. But yeah. with yourself, you're, you're incredibly adept at maintaining this identity across you know, different genres and different styles and so on. Yeah. What's the, the secret to you of making sure that an image is your image as opposed to you interpreting something as mm. like, as the landscape version of yourself or the, the portrait version of yourself? Yeah. And I feel like the majority of that comes in actually deciding if you're going to, like before the pic, before you take the picture, you know, it's not, I don't, I, I re, I'm not someone who goes out and like snaps loads. Of, I'm actually, I never carry a camera around with me wherever I go. Um, everything I do is very sort of considered. Like I would, I would have seen, you know, a landscape or a building or something and be like, Oh, I must come back here at a, a better time or a day when the light's going to be right. And I'm going to, so I think a lot of that, that creative process of making sure that it's like your style and your look is like deciding if that is that, if that is your, you know, the correct subject as it were, if it's a landscape, that, that builds that building or, you know, the color of that sky sort of fitting with the palette that I like. So I think a lot of that is the, comes before you actually take the picture. Well, can I jump in there really quickly? Do you think that for you, that's something that you're deciding consciously or do you feel like you have to train yourself to just go with your subconscious? Um, that's a good question. I think over time it becomes subconscious. Right. You just, you just, it's almost like when you walk past something or see something, or there's a particular kind of light where you just go, that's a photograph that I, that I would take. And that's what I'm constantly asking myself. I'm saying, is this worth me getting my camera out? Is it worth me going home <laughs> to get my camera? Or is it worth, you know, we're on a shoot somewhere on location or something like that. And my camera's in a pelly case, like in the back of a car or something like that. Is it worth me? stopping getting out doing that you know and most of the time no and most and that's why i sort of like try almost take as few pictures as possible you know because i'm like i'm all about the like quality and sort of distilling down asking myself is this a portrait or 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 a landscape that is um you know going to fit into my it's my portfolio because i'm not in the business of just snapping away and just going right yeah let's try this and i'll decide later they're very considered. If I take a landscape, I'll only take, you know, maybe three or four images. Um, but it will be exactly what I want it to be. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it becomes subconscious over time. But that all, what I would always recommend to people are still figuring that out. And if, you know, if, like you say, you're having problems with that, I would keep shooting lots of things and carry a camera and that kind of stuff because that's how you train that, that sort of subconscious side of you. So I've only arrived at that from, you know, a many, many years of, of going through that process. Now I just know exactly what I like. Um, 
And that's by part of it. So yeah, there's a creative process of sort of deciding whether that's going to fit in anyway. Then there's how how you actually shoot it, you know. And that might be that it's on the same camera or the same format or the same film, that kind of thing. And then po- like post, you know, I'm I'm big into like color grading, you know, that kind of thing. Those really draw um, sort of uh, thematically things together. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so there's a sort of aesthetic where they work together. Um, but yeah, I think, um, it's, again, it's a very hard one to answer because so much of it is based on your, uh, just your instinct, really just your eye goes, yeah, that's the shot that I would take. So out comes the camera sort of thing. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think a lot of people I've, I've taught, you know, small kind of beginners workshops for portraiture in the past. And I feel like a lot of people try and outsmart their own instinct or they try and I, I genuinely think one of the biggest problems actually that faces a lot of photographers and it definitely is a male thing is that they focus so much on impressing other photographers when that means literally nothing to impress another photographer. Yeah. They're never going to yeah, buy yeah. anything from you. They're never going to pay your bills. And you know, I completely, I completely agree. Most yeah. of the, most of the compliments you're going to get are going to be either, you know, veiled compliments to say the least or they're going to be yeah. like what people are used to now as as being feedback which is where they just say something is either the greatest thing they've ever seen in their life or you should kill yourself yeah. like no one seems to be able to find that happy medium or say anything specific they either hate something more than they've ever hated something or yeah. they love it more than they've ever loved anything and that's completely useless and i think people get bogged down in that world in like social media specifically instagram you know like numbers of followers like i should have more followers or this kind of thing but it's about like the quality of the follower it's like if you have someone who's going to be commissioning you and giving you work and they're following you that's like a direct link into your portfolio you don't need to like you know chase them down to 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 show them your latest work or email them off send them your portfolio like they're following you yeah so you know well, and it's very nice when, you know, other photographers like your work and say nice things. Obviously, that's a very positive uh, thing. But like you say, it's relatively meaningless in the because they are your competition. And to be fair, I don't actually, um, I was talking about this the other day with someone. It's, I've realized as I've got older that I'm really not a great consumer of photography. I don't have lots of photography books. I don't have... I don't go to like, well, before pre-pandemic, go to lots of galleries and things like that. Um, it's not because I don't appreciate other people's work or think it's great. There are, you know, far better photographers than me out there and incredible people throughout history have taken amazing pictures. Um, but I just get such more of a kick out of creating myself than I do. I don't spend lots of time looking at other people's work. I don't really know. People ask me, oh, who's your favorite photographer? I don't, I, it sounds weird, but I don't know that many other photographers yeah right. certainly like not many of them are my friends or that kind of thing i'm not i've never felt like i was part of a photographic community like my friends are people who do work in related you know creative fields film that kind of stuff but like i don't really have many you know friends or you know um close associates who who are photographers you know i don't i don't talk about it a lot which is quite, this conversation is quite strange because I feel like most of the time I'm trying not to talk about photography just because <laughs> it's my, it's my, I just, just don't want to bore people, you know, because like I said before, like, I don't like gear. People are always like, what camera should I buy? And I'm like, it literally doesn't matter. I mean, that's not, that's not a conversation about photography. Though. That's a conversation about electronics. Yeah. Yeah, of course. 
Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I'm not a great, I'm not a great consumer. I don't, I don't, uh, look at, um, other people's work, you know, but it's funny because I do what we need to discuss this earlier about this sort of like lateral art forms, like film and paintings. And I do far more in those than I do with photography. I say, and I think it's partly because for some people, it really helps to have that inspiration of like, Oh wow, this person, this photographer's done that. Whereas I don't, I don't think I do. I think I'm trying to comfort it in like what I do and what I like now. Um, that I don't tend to sort of look to other photographers for that as much um, than I do to painting or cinema or, you know, that kind of thing. I've got to ask a question here that's it's a really hard one to approach. In fact, what was quite interesting is, so for, for a little bit of a behind-the-curtain way of, of how this podcast tends to go down is I have a list of bullet points in front of me and then I'm, you know, listening to you while I'm trying to figure out the best segue from either the beginning or the end yeah. of what you're saying. And you have a special skill of exactly bridging two that are completely unbridgeable. So I'm not really sure which one to go down. I'll go down, because we're in in the region of not photographing people, let me ask you a a question that I don't know how to ask. What's the deal with Trellick Tower? (laughs) That is a good question. Um, I just fucking love that building. And it's the answer, yeah. It's not much more complex than that, unfortunately. Um, I used to live like right next to it. So I used to see it every day. And there's just something about it, which it looks incredibly cinematic uh, at nighttime. Um, I mean, I assume you've seen some of my images of them, which is yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. But it just has a presence. It's also, it's also, it's the only, it's in Notting Hill for those people that haven't uh, seen it near Goldborn Road. Um, but it's there's no building around it that's that's anywhere near the same sort of size or stature. It was um, one of the first sort of social housing projects in in London to so have some sort of like social historical sort of um, presence as well. Uh, and I just every time I walk past that, I was constantly amazed by its size. And it's, I love that it, uh, sort of brutalist, almost Soviet style yeah, of yeah. architecture i I'm, i really like those sort of like hard lines the sort of symmetry of it the the um, geometry of it and uh there's something it's a very well documented building lots of people take pictures it's very sort of famous or the cultural sort of icon of that area and i think i'm drawn to it in that way because um there is something in because it's so well known and people know exactly what it looks like and it's been photographed a lot. I think it's a real sort of benchmark of quality of your own work. If you can take an image and they go, wow, is that Trellick Tower? You know, how have you done that? You know, because it's something standard um, that people take pictures of their phones on. They they know it very well. Whereas I think like if you're shooting people, you know, you know, a portrait in a studio and you've got all the bells and whistles of all the lighting and all the, you know, hair and makeup artists and that kind of stuff. That's a slightly unknown world to people. Uh, yeah. They don't know how much of that is you, how much of that is the makeup artist has gone into that. They go, that looks great. But like, I've seen lots of other people doing that. Whereas if you have a picture of a building, that is something that you walk past all the time and you've taken it in an interesting way, it just says a lot about you as a creative person, I think. And I think that's why I was drawn to shooting, aside from the fact that I lived right next to it and it was just a very obvious, you know, nice subject matter to be photographing 
you know, all the time throughout the, cause I shot up the project every year, basically. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it somehow shines a light on me as a, it, it says a lot about me as a creative, I think, because the consistent thing is the building never changes. I can't give the building any, any, um, you know, instruction or, you know, guidance or anything like that. It just stays there and is unaware. And it's about how I use my tool and how I pick my moment. Again, what I mentioned earlier about the landscape to go, that sky is perfect. I'm going to take this picture. So I think it says a lot about me as an artist, um, rather than, because, you know, at the end of the day, if you are trekking out in, you know, the mountains in Chile and there's, and there's, you know, dawn and there's mist everywhere, like you can take that picture on a phone. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. It's going to look great. And people are going to be like, you're a fantastic photographer. Whereas it's like, are you, or were you in the right place at the right time? Whereas I've almost sort of turned down his head in a way and gone like, I'm going to pick the same building which looks relatively like boring to most people and then try and photograph it try and say something about me in the times that i've chosen the angles that i've chosen the format film about that and tell a story of me with the building being the most consistent element of that yeah does that make any sense or yeah I no i mean as someone that photographs weddings something that is a, a constant it's a mainstay of regardless of if it's the same people if you're in a different part of the country. You know, I've photographed weddings in, in North Scotland, in South Wales, yeah. North Wales, all over England. It's a constant thing where someone sees that you're a photographer. It's usually a guy in his 50s who's like an uncle and he'll come over and he'll show me a phone picture of his last holiday and he'll say, oh, you don't need a good camera anymore. You just need a phone. Yeah. And it's like, well, you also need the, the £5,000 uh, round trip to go to the Faroe Islands or, you know, to go to Argentina or to go to the Maldives or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's not, your, your phone's done very little work there. A lot of the work has been done by the subject. It's, um, it's like yeah. photographing a very beautiful person and claiming that you somehow brought something out that really you've just taken a phone picture of something that's very beautiful. Yeah. I have no way of segueing this because like I said, these two things can't be bridged. So this is going to be completely horrible. Go on. But as I've got someone that works in the industry, you photograph celebrities, you photograph actors and actresses and so on. There's been a huge, bizarre movement with retouching mm. the last sort of five years with sort of small groups of very angry people on Twitter pointing out how retouching has somehow set back a generation um, and caused lots and lots of problems. And I'm definitely loading this question because I do feel we're living in an age where people are blaming everyone else for anything that they're not happy with. Right. I don't, I don't uh, use Twitter, but you, you t tell me a bit more about this. What they, they think that, you know, they're, you're, they're sort of warping the imagery to make people look, you know, unrealistically beautiful. Is that what yeah. I mean, essentially it's like, uh, I mean, it's much more extreme than that. The way that it's took the, 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 the sort of, the the manner in which they go about talking about it would make you think that retouchers are adding third arms, extra eyes, extra right, boobs, right, right. you know, all kinds of ridiculous, like beyond human sort of parts. Yeah. When in actual fact, it's, you know, great makeup artists, great lighting, great photographers, exactly. yeah. and incredibly good looking people who have got to where they are because they're 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 the absolute opposite of being offensive to look at when you're watching a movie or or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there seems to be this idea that retouching is is basically causing people to have no ability to have self confidence. I actually think that rather than 
and this is, I'm definitely just putting this in for my own value here, but I think it's about time we started teaching people to stop looking for everyone else to validate them and rather teach people to just like themselves because it's a, it's a fruitless endeavor to make everyone else feel like shit so that you feel better. But my, my little rant aside, have you noticed any changes in the way that you're being asked to retouch? Do you work with a retoucher? Do you, do you do your own? I retouch most of my own work and unless for certain sort of, you know, big commercial advertising, you know, and and it's, it's a big like comp job or things are being shot all over the place and they have to be sort of stitched together, all that sort of like very technical stuff. I don't, I don't tend to do that, but the majority of stuff I do my own retouching and that's mainly just out of, you know, that it's an integral part of my creative process. It's like really how you like tie everything together. And to that note, I will say one, one thing that does bother me is that when you say retouching, people think that means like augmenting yeah. skin. Like you say, like do you know making changes to someone's physical bit. Whereas retouching is like like how you it's like adding grain and like add, you know playing with like dodging and burning and like bringing down highlights in the background, getting rid of little objects. You know, it's color grading. It's the whole thing. We we call it retouching, but I think people who are slightly less informed. Make that all about like <laughs> less informed, know, uh, but a lot louder. <laughs> yeah, like they make it about um, human, you know, like beauty. You know, where it's like retouching is just it's 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 like it's the same as as when you watch a film. Like you don't you want to watch the like scenes individually. You want to see them like cut together, and you want to miss out the bit where they like fluff the line, yeah. and you're going on to the next part because that's like. That's elicit, you know, you're 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 accessing like a greater emotional, you know, uh, uh, experience by editing in that way, and it's the same thing. If you have a photograph and there's a traffic cone in the background of it, like I would retouch that out because it's not, it doesn't belong there. It's not supposed to be there. Obviously, in an ideal world, you'd be able to move that, you know, before so you're doing things properly and in camera. But if you can't, that's fine. You know, and that's creating a greater emotional impact, making that image look better. And I'm a huge, huge fan of that. You know, I'm not, I would never apologize to anyone. I, I completely understand what people are saying about, you know, making people look unrealistic or, you know, that kind of thing. But people don't realize, and you, you touched on it then, is that how much of that is done, like in the sort of preparation before. And having someone there, like my job as a photographer, like I, I said before, is to make someone look a portrait make them look as good as possible that is my job yeah. so if i'm going to advise them and direct them to sit slightly differently because it makes them look better you know or is more comfortable for them so then therefore they look better then i will do that you know there's no point in being so sort of reality centric that you're just like i have to portray the truth here because like we're artists we're storytellers you know we're trying to present to the world you know uh our own vision and the vi- and, and the the concept of the shoe and you know people don't hang around wearing like massive dresses at home with their hair done like that yeah. you know we are it's th- it's theatre you know we're we're playing dress up and we're trying to make that as beautiful as possible. I mean, there's there's so many issues within it. To be honest, with the way that we're kind of conducting, and I say we again, I'm talking about those seven people on Twitter that that cut their own hair and get yeah. very angry at everyone else, but. Um, there's there's yeah. a few things that really stand out to me. One is, like you said, the complete lack of vocabulary when it comes to what retouching is. They haven't done their, their yeah. due diligence, but they want to speak on behalf of of the people that are doing the work, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I think that 
we need to get out of this idea that it's bad to aspire. Like when I, when yeah. I see men's fitness magazine, I not that I buy it because I'm fat, but when I see men's fitness magazine, or if I see um, a, a celebrity in a movie, like I see an actor in a movie, a male actor, I want him to, to be something to aspire to. I want him to be good at acting. I want him to be good looking. I want the, the image to yeah. look wonderful. I want the, the lighting to be perfect and so on. Yeah. You know, it's perfect, perfect for the scenario, not perfect in the sense of just making someone look good. And, mm-hmm. and the last thing I'd say is that if we're, you know, if we're going, like you said, the lack of understanding of what retouching is, if you go after retouching as being the problem for why, let's say, Ryan Reynolds is so good looking. Well, once you take the retouching away, the guy's still pretty damn good looking. So what's next? Do we get angry at the way people light stuff? Do we get angry at the way people use lenses? It just seems to be a fruitless endeavor. And again, I just, I don't understand why people that like yourself that create these images get, and obviously, thank God you don't have Twitter, just avoid it like the plague. It's the worst thing on earth. It's it's the second most evil thing ever invented. But they, they, they want to attack people like yourself for creating these images, yet why not focus on the real problem of making people just feel happy within themselves? Let them aspire. Let them, you know, a little bit of jealousy doesn't hurt anybody because it gives you something to work for. I see other photo- I see your work. I'm incredibly jealous of the work that you've done. And it makes me want to try harder and get better at what I do, not ruin what you have so that I feel better about myself. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, completely. And also, um, you know, there are so many different kinds of photography and so many different worlds that those photographs exist. There are people out there who shoot like social stories of people they meet on the street, you know, warts and all exactly as you see them, you know, not trying to be anything or anything different. And they're beautiful. And they are like, they tell amazing stories and they say lots of things about those people. But, you know, I don't do that. You know, I think people who do that are fantastic photographers and that's a very vital thing, you know, and they're not retouching their work at all. You know, maybe not even like color correcting or anything. They just want it to be that. But there are also people, you know, which I fall into a little bit where we're trying to create a feeling, a world, something that isn't, you know, reality. You know, reality, like sometimes can be quite boring and we're trying to, we're trying to do something that's taking you outside of that. And like you say, making something aspirational or, you know, if you're working for, I mean, that, and that's the whole essence of commercial work and advertising. It's like you're selling people, uh, you know, a a feeling, an image, uh, you know, a style that is aspirational because the, you know, the clients who are hiring you which are paying our rent and our mortgage as photographers. So we need to, you know, we need to respect that is that they know what their market wants and they want it to look a certain way. And, you know, that is people looking the best they can be. Then you have to do that. You know, that's just part of it. You know, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I, you know, I would stand with any person that said, you know, if there was evidence that someone had really sort of augmented digitally someone's um, appearance that was like, you know, mis- actively misleading, you know, of course, like, I think we have responsibility to, you know, treat, uh, uh, well, you know, to, to go with the philosophy of like, if it can be fixed on the day, you know, if you have an amazing makeup artist that can cover up a, you know, a spot or something like that, or a hair that's fallen out of place, then those things are all absolutely fair game. You know, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. You're trying to present the best the absolute best version of um, of someone that you're photographing. So yeah, I do. I you know, I think there's there is a responsibility, but it's nowhere near as of a big deal 
Well, I think that the the, the way that it's it's referenced as being a, a huge detriment by some people to to sort of society. I think, you know, a little bit of perspective, a hundred years ago, people weren't living as long by anywhere near as much. And yeah. now it's great to have all of these different forms of media and all of these different people that are willing to give up their, their personal life t- to be able to pursue a career professionally. Cause you know, you can't, you look at someone like um, Daniel Day Lewis, he manages just about to be someone that everyone seems to have heard of, but you never hear about his personal life. But for most people, they don't even have that option. You know, we're seeing the horrible stuff that's been done to people like Britney Spears over the years, where they've, yeah, they've yeah, just yeah. wanted to have, you know, a career. And somehow that means they have to sell every other part of who they are to the general public. But, you know, yeah. we, we live 70, 80 years in, in good cases. And my wife runs a care home and there are people there living to 115 years old. You need something to occupy your time and something to take you out of reality every once in a while. Because like you said, real- on a good day, reality yeah. is boring. And on a bad day, there's another world event going on that everyone needs to and, be scared and it, of. And it would be, it would be really different if that was the only photography that was out there. And, we, and everyone was sold this idea that you had to be perfect and everyone wears dresses and it's glamorous and it looks perfect and suave and handsome, that kind of thing. But there, if, there are so many people out there now on social media who are you know, like influencers or, you know, uh, famous people who are like um, all different shapes and sizes and from different backgrounds and all that kind of thing. That there's so much representation that people can see. It's not like we're, we're saying like, you have to look like this, you know, you have to look like a movie star. There are so many people out there who are amazing and talented who don't look like stereotypical movie stars. And they do look very interesting in their own way, or they embrace that reality. Yeah. And that's really good. And I think it's good that we, we don't, you know, shame anyone that's trying to be their sort of authentic self and the way they're expressing themselves, you know, but we also don't shame people who are, you know, doing what, you know, I do, or the photographers who are shooting for these magazines who are shooting aspirational, beautiful imagery, you know, that's, you know, I'm in the business of making art, you know, and whether that is a landscape or, is a portrait, you know, I want it to look as good as possible, you know? Yeah. I'll call something like a body positivity movement or anything like that, a positive thing, provided that it's not hinged on the idea that you have to punish someone else. You can, no, of course. this is the one yeah. thing I think we've completely lost sight of, and this is getting awfully deep and I don't want to, don't want to ruin you for here. But to me, it feels like we seem to have got to a point where we're incapable of uplifting one person without it having to be at the expense of someone else. And I'd just like yeah, to see yeah. us celebrate things a little bit more. I mean, yeah. we are right now we're in a golden age of cinema and I don't think we realize it. I think a lot of people, because they're so focused on uh, stuff that I'm not a fan of, like the Marvel movies, that, that a lot of people don't realize how much stuff is being done outside of that, no pun intended, outside of that universe, that there, there's just some phenomenal films being made. And, you know, just celebrate the, the art form. And if you want to pay someone a compliment, it doesn't have to be at someone else's expense. And if you don't like something, yeah. turn it off and watch something else. And, you know, yeah, use, that, yeah. use that 78 years that you've got to, for good rather than just to make yourself miserable and make everyone else around you realize it. Now that yeah, I've completely killed, like, I've killed the mood of this, I do apologize. No, I, I think it makes complete sense. And I, I think you're saying if you don't like Marvel movies because you think they're like not realistic or, you know, you know, they're, they're ruining cinema or whatever. Like you say, either turn it off or better still, go out there and make a film. Exactly. represents the values that you have and is the kind of story that you have. Or if you're a photographer, go and take those pictures that you think are missing. And that's like, 
one of the most beautiful things. There are so many people are doing that who are offering different perspectives um, on what they think is missing out there in the world. And they're sending out their own messages. Like we're a much richer society when we all um, do our own thing, you know, and we do, our, we have our own voice and we, 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 you know, take that out to the world. Um, then, you know, listen to the mob who say, well, you can't do this and you can't do that because of this, you know, well, you know, those people should, you know, go out and go out and shoot stuff that, you know, means a, a lot to them, you know, and there's the message that they, they want to send out there, you know. Completely. Now, uh, the most annoying question, we spoke earlier about you uh, talking to celebrities that get sick of being asked the same question over and over again. And I, I can't imagine you haven't been asked this question. It's the last question and I promise I'll let you get on with your life and not have to listen to me. Go on. But you photographed some huge names. Obviously, I'm still kind of a little bit irritated that your first actor was Sir Ian McKellen. I feel like that's... It's annoying, isn't it? I, yeah. It makes you very unlikable in that sense, I have to say. It's terrible. Sorry about that. Yeah. But, you know, after after then, you know, that was the first one and I've photographed all manner of um, difficult, awkward, much lesser known (laughs) people. Uh, So I have have done some time in the trenches after that, but that was was a very, it was a very uh, magical start, shall we say. Okay, two questions. I promise I, I, I want to let you go. I, I understand that it's yeah. taken up too much of your time. First question, because no, you've just brought it up. Right. What's the, the like, most awkward or difficult shoot? You obviously don't have to drop any names or anything stupid like that, but what's the situation that's just been like dire for you to get shots from? There is one, um, which is a story I think I may need to tell you off um, uh, if that's okay. Okay. Um, but- just because I don't want to name any names and, and you know, that kind of thing. But I do, I do have a story of someone I met who is one of the most, who was one of the most rude and disrespectful people I've ever met. Right. Um, and I, I, I should say that that is exceptionally rare. I think that's a question that I get asked a lot. People go, oh, who's the best person and who's the worst person? And I really don't have many horror stories because most of the time people are very respectful and they're there. Because, you know, people are there because they're, selling something, you know, yeah. and they want that to be, you know, they want to make sure the magazines, they're making a good impression with the journalists, you know, and the magazine like them and that they're supporting their career so that the press don't tell on them, you know, and it's a very like positive, collaborative environment. Um, but there is one uh, horror story I had, but I'm going to uh, not share that now, unfortunately. Well, to, to take the heat off you then, I, I do remember about two years ago being um, sent an actor by an agency to do headshots for. And the whole shoot was fantastic. He was uh, very, very good in front of the camera, very chatty. Yeah. And right at the end of the shoot, as he's like putting on his coat, we're all packed up. He's gone through some images. He's talked about what he liked, what he didn't like. And yeah, it's just all in all fantastic. He was recommending movies to me. It was just one of those shoots where you click. And right at the end, the the last thing he said, I can't repeat it on air because I'll literally have the podcast taken off of me. But for the sake yeah. of context, I'm married to someone of Arabic descent. And the last sentence oh, no. that he said before, he, yeah, so you can probably guess where this is going. But the last thing he said was about how much he wasn't a fan of that type of person. Oh and, my God. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus, that like is one way. knock the wind out of you where you're like, I thought I knew you. Well, I just had no motivation to edit the photos. Yeah. Because it just killed, it killed the whole, I hate the words, but it killed the vibe of the shoot. It killed the, the yeah. feeling I got from all of the positive photos that we got. Very bizarre situation. Anyway, my last question, in, in terms of a geometric thing, in terms of an aesthetic thing, not in terms of who you're a fan of, 
Um, are there any yeah. faces, celebrity faces, that you'd love to photograph purely from a, an aesthetic point of view? Oh, yeah, that is a good question. I think along the lines of the, you know, Ian McKellen, like the old legends, you know, the people, the 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 the, the men and women who have been around for a long time that are so well respected. I think, you know, the sort of um, Al Pacino's of this world, you know, Vivian Westwood, those kind of people who are like absolute legends. Um, I find working with them like fascinating, and there's, there's a sort of timeless quality to those portraits. They're not they're not people who will do crazy things and you know act up so much the camera like they can just sit there, yeah, with really good lighting, and you can have a conversation with them, and you maybe only take like a handful of photos, but there's something about those which are really really special. So people like that. Um, you know, I mentioned it before, but my favorite shoot maybe ever was, um, as well as Ian, was um, John Cooper Clark, who I'm just a massive fan of. You know, growing up, I was a huge fan of his poetry and working with him, you know, just such an old legend, just such an amazing face. Uh, it, those kind of shoots are really special for me. I love, I love working with those people. So yeah, old legends, uh, like my favorite subject, I'd say. Well, it's been absolutely worth the wait. My goodness. It's, uh, it's been fantastic. So this is the part that's the most important part. I'm trying to turn myself into a human algorithm so everyone likes what I like. So where can everyone go to find all of your work, your website, your Instagram, and so on? Great. So I, uh, my website is www.bypip.co.uk. So that's B-Y-P-I-P.co.uk. And my Instagram handle is at bypip. Um, and that's the only social media that I use but yeah find me on there and um, yeah hit me up well thank you so much for taking the time I can't tell you how much it means it's been an absolute pleasure mate